once again by Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com. Jordan, welcome back to the Untitled Jeff Buck podcast for your third episode. You've been on almost half of them, and I'm not even paying you. No, I feel like the Ed McMahon to your Johnny Carson. How do you feel about um, me not showing you any sort of financial help right now for this podcast? I'm fine. I get to chit-chat with Ray. We either talk in the car or we talk now, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, so not only am I not paying Jordan anything for this volunteer podcast, he's just being nice to, um, says nobody else wants to do a podcast with me at the moment. But um, for Daytona, he's letting me stay at his parents' place uh, about 45 minutes from the track, saving me an entire race worth of money um, on a hotel, which means I'll be able to go to an additional race this season. So, um, Jordan, any regrets so far about uh, me in your family's personal space? Uh, not yet, but I will tell you after this week. <laughs> okay, good to know. So let's talk about racing since we have stuff to talk about. Uh, th- this little thing called The Clash happened on Sunday, which is today. And, uh, well, at least today when we're recording this. It might not be when you're hearing this. But, um, yeah, so it was supposed to be on Saturday night. It got rained out. And actually, I think it was quite a, a nice little race in the daytime. The driver certainly seemed to take well to it and thought it was good. There, there was some handling issues, um, which is, you know, you don't want the cars to be totally st- stuck to the track or anything. So Jordan, um, first impressions for you of the clash overall? Well, one, I, I get back to what you said about the daylight. I think races in general, we've, we've seen this at other tracks. Kentucky comes to mind. Races are better under the day, and especially here at Daytona, the track is slick. Drivers really have to fight to control their cars. It makes passing a little bit easier too. And I like it. It, it. You know, I know there's reason to have it on Saturday night, but we heard Kyle Busch talk about it afterwards. It would be nice to see this typical clash, you know, qualifying back to back on a Sunday. It would really make for a good thing for the fans, and I think it makes it better for better racing as well. Yeah, I I liked it, and maybe I'm just telling myself this, but I felt like during the day, you could see them moving a little bit more, sliding around a little bit more. Obviously, with this aero package, it's still going to be a, a a matter of side drafting and getting out front and being able to block of course unless you're you're denny hamlin um you <laughs> you might not see the run coming at the end but no but i mean you can see passing though i mean we saw it today in the last 10 laps or so brad keselowski with some help from joey logano worked his way up there it looked like a point keselowski was running like 14 15 you think well he's not really having a chance here and then he made a charge so i mean you are able to pass if you have a good car and you've got you know how to work things to your advantage you can do it now could you have done that at night i don't know but he certainly did today under these conditions and i think it does you know i i think you're going to probably see this as a, a a stable going forward because this is a nice way to have two events in one day and it's a good convenient for the fans i will say i think that you hit on a key point which is that you have to have help it, this is it's not like a um, two car tandem race like we saw a few years ago but you definitely do have to have help because I had I had a driver I'll, I'll he'll be unnamed uh, come up to me on pit road as I was walking away from interviews after the race and he called me over and's like man nobody helped me like I had no help out there and I think he finished outside the top 10 maybe and um, he was really frustrated that he's like you know, those Gibbs cars, all you want to do is work together. And, you know, it works for them, right? But And, and up, as it does for Penske. But the, the drivers who got up there by themselves sort of were few and far between. I think that's what made Alex Bowman's performance, for instance, so so impressive. But I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you think? You, you still have to have help, right? 
you still have to have help and you're going to have to have, you know, that if you can't find that teammate to help, you, you're going to have to find somebody else, that outlier out there. I mean, Kevin Harvick enjoyed Logano last year in the Daytona 500, for example. But look at the Gibbs cars, though. I mean, the teamwork between them, though, really speaks volumes, not just at Daytona, but really throughout the course of last year. They are a team that are that is in sync, and they are willing to go out of their way to help one another. And you saw it today. I mean, they're running the top three, top four, holding the line, basically acting as Denny Hamlin's wingman and protecting him. And we saw that last year too. And the Penske cars, when Keselowski and Logano were separated, they weren't nearly as good. When they were together, though, they were they knew exactly what the other was going to do. You saw Keselowski kind of. Uh, sliding between both lanes to manipulate the draft. Logano let him do that and then would come up and push him. When those guys got together, that's when Keselowski went to the front. And this is what the race is going to be like on Sunday is which teammates can work together best. And right now, you look at the Hendrick squad, they've got some fast race cars, but they have never really had that synergy in plate races, at least for the last few years. Gibbs and uh, Penske do. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There was a couple interesting comments from the post-race press conferences along those lines. One was Kyle Busch said that the Penske cars are stronger than the Gibbs cars. They work better together. I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I do think that you you have to, if you don't have partners, you've got to go politic for them. And, and another thing that was interesting was Joey Logano talking about his relationship with Kevin Harvick. Um, let's just take a listen to that really quick. We get along good, actually. Um, believe it or not, I know it's probably surprising to everyone in here, but um, you know, there's been multiple times throughout the speedway racing um, that we've ended up working together. Um, I even called him last year, going to after we left here, trying to figure out a way to uh, uh, after we left the 500, going to Talladega, how we can beat the Gibbs cars. And I wanted to work with him. You know, before is you know not many Fords out there, so I was trying to make as many friends as I can, and we were able to work really well together uh, last year in speedway races. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we've had our differences because we both are hard racers. That's that's what it's going to be. We just we both want to win really bad, and we're both we both do what we got to do to win. Um, so obviously we're not going to see eye to eye on, on some things in the past, but that's in the past, and uh, I respect him as a race car driver. I, I believe he respects me as a race car driver, and we we have the same goals, and we really kind of go through things the same way. So yeah, he's basically saying, look, I didn't really have enough people. And I had to go out there and make it happen myself. And now I have to have a drafting partner. Of course, now they're both Ford, but at the time they weren't. And maybe that's what some of these, you know, the driver uh, who was, who was kind of mad on pit road venting to me, you know, that's what he needs to do. He's got to go find some of these guys and call them up and say, Hey, let's work together. You're alone. I'm alone. Make sort of uh, alliances that you wouldn't necessarily think are happening. Anyway, that was, that was kind of interesting most interesting thing to me though was the last lap before i give my take what was your impression of the last lap i thought it was inevitable i mean you, you really have two of the better restrictor plate drivers in, in the game right now joy Logano and dale and are on the list but denny hamlin and brad keselowski were probably the two best drivers they had two of the best cars on sunday and they dominated the race they led all but nine laps and when keselowski was charging you knew and he broke up that jgr alliance up there which was really impressive and watching him do that when he was able to do that though you knew hamlin was kind of a sitting duck and hamlin knew he was a sitting duck so you knew keselowski was going to make the move going into one hamlin knew that and when hamlin moved down and made the contact you're thinking oh boy this is going to be ugly and it wasn't that bad but it definitely hindered both of them and allowed logano to get a bye I fully expected it just because of the way the circumstances are and everything. You could see it coming. You know, Keselowski had a lot of momentum in Halen because of the way this draft is. You have to do everything you can to block, and that's what he did. And sometimes when you try to block, you come up short and you cut the guy off and you chop him, and that's what happened here.
Well, I, I have to give you credit then if you really anticipated that because I didn't anticipate it at all. I mean, you, you didn't see that? You didn't think it was going to happen? I mean, you could see Keselowski charging. Like, no. I mean, he was coming. I mean, you could see him just pick apart these guys. Yeah, but okay, here's my thing. How many times do we see somebody charging through the field, and as soon as they get up to where that leader is, the leader just blocks and defends, blocks and defends, moves down, blocks both lines. You can't even get a run on them, no matter how fast of a car you have. So when Hamlin took the white and he had that big of a lead, I just thought, I, I even tweeted it, unless something crazy happens here, you know, Brad's going to have to pull off some crazy move um, to make it work. Otherwise, De this is Denny's race. And to me, I think Denny was surprised at the run Brad got and how fast it was. Obviously, he he wouldn't have moved down. He thought he was – he didn't know he was going to be there that fast. He thought he still had time to block. But to me, over and over and over again in this plate package, we see the leader able to stall any run that's coming up to him. So I just figured Hamlin with all his experience – and I agree. Hamlin and Kozlowski are, are maybe the two best plate racers uh, in in the race anyway – Dale Jr. wasn't in the race, and I, I was sort of surprised at how that all went down. Actually, I was shocked. The, the difference for me was that you had Joey Logano behind Keselowski. So while Hamlin could block Keselowski effectively, as soon as he does that, though, it gives Logano an opportunity to swing wide from Keselowski and use that momentum to take, you know, to pass Hamlin. So then Hamlin's got to fend both of those guys off. He wasn't going to be able to do that. So you kind of got to pick what you're going to do there. I, I just thought with the momentum he had, the Keselowski had, and the fact that he had his teammate right behind him, that was going to be too much because Hamlin was basically on an island at that point. Well, Logano said something in the. It was in victory lane, apparently. Um, I didn't see exactly who, where the quote came from, but it was repeated to me secondhand that as soon as Logano said, as soon as he saw himself push Keselowski up um, ahead, and he knew that Hamlin and Keselowski were going to wreck and that he would be able to get by him because he just saw that Hamlin would pro probably try to come down and block it and, and that Brad had such a big run that that was exactly what was going to happen. So Inevitable. Not to me. Uh, and I don't think to Denny, but um, anyway. So overall, it was it was a good race. Anything to say about um, Danica Patrick's fourth place finish? Did that impress you at all? I mean, she is a very good plate racer, and you know, if she's going to have success in races and be competitive and, and you know win a race, I think we can all agree if she's going to do it naturally and not through you know wildly weird circumstances, it's going to happen at a plate race. She's had some very good runs on these tracks. Daytona, she's had a top 10 finish. She's been very competitive at Talladega a couple times. So she has really kind of learned the nuances of plate racing. You know, she can be a little bit impatient sometimes, and that kind of an impacts some guys wanting to work with her. But when you have race and you have attrition, and we saw you know a few guys have some incidents today, if you can be smart, you have a way to get a good finish, and that's what happened. Now, Jordan, anybody else stick out for you? I mean, one person, even though he didn't get the finish he probably deserved, was Daniel Suarez for me. Um, first cup race, essentially. He, he had never even been in a cup car to the Phoenix test a couple weeks ago. And I know plate racing is different, but, you know, he kept his nose clean. He stayed in line with his teammates. He did what he was supposed to do. He didn't get impatient. Ultimately, he doesn't get a top five finish. I think he was somewhere toward the bottom of the top ten, but... Still, I mean, decent run, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, Suarez had a really good job, and he needed to get out there, get laps, get in the draft, and he did, exactly. He stayed behind Hamlin all day. He was a good teammate, and he got a lot of experience, and that's really what you need for a rookie, and as you said, who doesn't have any cup time in a cup car. And I will throw another guy out there as well. Alex Bowman had a really good run. Struggled a little bit early on, but then kind of charged there at the end and walked away with a third-place finish. Yeah, and Alex Bowman, I was watching it at one point, and, and I was actually sitting in the in the media center cafeteria grabbing a quick bite to eat 
um, and Ricky Craven pulled a, a seat next to me and we were watching and, and Bowman pulls out a line and Logano was coming up. This is probably around the halfway point of the race and Logano had a choice. He could either go with the 88 car, which was Bowman or um, go with the JGR cars. And, it, and obviously he, they want to break up the JGR cars. They were all up front. And for a second, Logano goes out behind Bowman like he's going to push him. They're going to try to go to the front. And he goes, well, he changes his mind. And Ricky Craven pointed it out and said, you know, look, if that was Dale Jr., obviously every single veteran is going to go with him. But they they don't want to go with the younger guy. So, you know, Bowman really had to do it by himself. Uh, very impressive finish because of that. Um, I think Bowman has just got to keep plugging away. And even though he's not going to have a lot, a lot of opportunities, just stay with Hendrick. There's going to be a ride opening up eventually, and he'll probably be the, the top candidate whenever it does. He's only 23. So just keep more runs like this, more runs like Phoenix when he won the pole and almost won the race. So I, I think he's just making a very good name for himself. He really is. He's kind of coming to his own. And we look at him as a young, inexperienced driver, but he's got two full seasons in Cup, but never with a team like this. And as you said, last year at Phoenix, he had a great run. And he's in a really good situation. I mean, he's a simulator driver for Chevy. He's doing a lot of testing for them. As you said, Hendrick's kind of a team in transition right now. You kind of look at their lineup. You know, you project it year, two, three years down the road, and you're not really sure where things are going to end up there because you've got some drivers either underperforming or on the other side of 40. So there are definitely going to be some changes coming with that team somewhere in time in the near future. And he is. And you have to think that, you know, at sponsorship can be found, they're going to put him in a junior motorsports car full time. Again, it comes down to funding. He hinted at it a couple times now that he's got a one race opportunity with a team coming up. It sounds like it's going to be an Infinity or Trucks, if you can figure out which that is. So he just needs to keep doing this, and the opportunities will come. And, you you know, as a Chevrolet driver, too, it's not just the Hendrick camp, too. If a ride opens up as it, with a competitive team elsewhere, you'd think he'd be in line for that. Jordan, from what you saw in the clash, is the Daytona 500 going to be a, a good race? I'm going to say that it is. I don't think last year's – last year's 500 had a classic ending – um, but I don't think it was that great of a race with the JGR domination. But I think that there are some groups that can challenge that JGR bunch this year. And I think that there could be some lead changes. It won't just be a total domination. At least maybe I'm, I'm hoping. What do you think? Is, it, is Daytona 500 going to be a good race? I don't think it's going to be the you know constant passing like we, we've kind of wanted to see in the Daytona 500. It's going to be a lot like last year where you're going to see guys early on settle in, be patient, ride around because it's 500 miles and you don't want to be in that big one. And up front, if you can get up front, you can really kind of dictate everything that goes on behind you. So it's going to be hard to pass. But as we saw last year, as the laps wind down, people get more aggressive, things open up a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see if the Penske speed that we have seen in the clash carries over to next weekend because last year it did not brad keselowski struggled last year in this race logano had a good run keselowski did not so if the penske cars are competitive yes because then the gibbs cars are going to have to worry about teams outside of their own camp let's talk about um one of those groups hendrick motorsports who ends up sweeping the front row of the daytona 500 after moments earlier looking like it's going to be an all ford front row and my magical prediction would have come true i mean they were Fords were seven of the top 10 cars in practice, so I felt like I was in decent shape predicting a Ford would win. However, that's not what happens. Chase Elliott wins the pole. Number 24 team's third straight pole. Chase Elliott's second straight pole for the Daytona 500. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. will start second. Jordan, I know you were watching the conspiracy 
theory storylines, but ultimately I'm not sure this really qualified. What do you think? No, I, this is definitely not qualified as a conspiracy theory. Now, if Dale Earnhardt Jr. would have won the poll, then absolutely, then the trend would have continued. In 2013, Danica Patrick in her first rookie year, first female to win the poll. 2014, Austin Dillon in the return of the three. 2015, Jeff Gordon's final Daytona 500 start. Chase Elliott in his first race as Jeff Gordon's heir apparent in, the, in 2016. All right, so obviously uh, the duels will be coming up on Thursday to set the rest of the lineup. Monday and Tuesday at the track will be dark, nothing going on. Wednesday we have media day. Uh, I don't really think there's any huge stories that are going to be coming out of media day. Um, nothing super newsy or anything that we'll all be asking about. Um, can you think of anything that will you can predict as a hot topic? No, it's going to be buzzy stuff. I don't think you're going to see anything you know news oriented. You might see a couple things about Kurt Busch. You might. I will say Danica Patrick is going to meet the media for the first time as a whole. There's inevitably going to be questions about her Nature's Bakery sponsorship and, frankly, questions about her future with Stuart Haas Racing because of where that situation lies. Yeah, and I actually um, talked to Danica briefly um, the other day with Jenna Fryer from the Associated Press. We waited outside her holler before practice and predictably she didn't have too much to say about the nature's bakery lawsuit situation, but she did say um, that she's never promoted any other products. You know, that that's, that's part of the lawsuit that nature's bakery said, Oh, she promoted rival products. And that's why we're ending our sponsorship with Stuart Haas. So she, she denied that. Oh, that's, I did not, I did not promote products um, I uh, do I always do my very best to um, bring return on investment to all of my partners and um, so all I can say is I did my best to promote them and authentically and um, truthfully so well you know obviously that this uh, as we talked about earlier it, it, it sort of turns into some positive momentum for her at least with the fourth place finish maybe she can sort of get some positive headlines going back her way. Jordan, anything else you're watching out for coming into the duels or anything? You know, I don't I don't think there's some huge names that are going to be on the Daytona 500 bubble because you already had Elliot Sadler and Brendan Gaughan qualify their way in from on their times alone. Um, and obviously there's only two cars, I think, that are going to miss the 500. So it's not a huge bump situation. What, what are you going to be watching? Well, the big thing is, and you're not going to see this in the duels, is the Hendrick Motorsports cars have this affinity lately for spinning off a turn four. We've seen Jimmy Johnson do it a couple times today. We saw Dale Earnhardt last year, Chase Elliott last year. This is becoming a thing where there is something wrong aerodynamically with the Hendrick cars that is causing these drivers to just completely lose control of their cars and spin out. We're not going to see that in the duels because it's going to be a night race. It's cool, and it doesn't happen really then. It happens during the day. So... It's going to be interesting to see in practice what they can do, what they do anything behind the scenes, back at the, their, their, the headquarters. But next Sunday is going to be fascinating to watch because Chase Elliott and Dale Earnhardt Jr., you would think they got good cars underneath them. Well, Chase Elliott started in the pole last year, and it didn't last long. Dale Earnhardt Jr. last year had a strong run early. When he got in back of the pack, though, he ended up crashing out. So that's really the big thing to watch going into next weekend. Jordan, i got to, I got to thank some people along with you. Um for helping me get to Daytona in the first place. Um, some of these are my these are my patrons who are at, uh, $10 or more a month. So they, they have earned a shout-out in the podcast. So I want to thank some of them real quick before we move on to the next segment. 
Um, this week, I want to give a shout out to Devin King, Tammy Reeder, Pamela Stevens, Sheila Seymour, Drew Walters, Colton West, Derek Lester, and Stephen Linden. Thanks to all those people who, along with Jordan Bianchi, um, letting me stay at his parents' place, have helped me be here in the first place. Um, it's very nice of you all to be so supportive. Now, Jordan, as you know, Courtney Force was the honorary pace car driver. I'm not sure she actually stayed. I don't. You're shaking your head no. She did not stay and actually drive it, but she was supposed to be before the rain out, and John Force was, you know, with her as well. That was that's always cool when other people from other racing series pop in, don't you think? It is. It's really cool to see John Force here because NASCAR drivers love him. They just they, they just flock to him. I was, walk, I was actually following him through the uh, pit road yesterday as he's walking to the pace car, and crew guys were coming up to him. Fellow drivers were coming up to him and just want to shake his hand, say a few things to him. He is like the Pied Piper, and it, it's really great to see that infectious personality. In a lot of ways, you know, you, you kind of wish NASCAR had that that star that was just so charismatic, and he just had was always saying funny things or different things and kind of outrageous a little bit, and then also had the success on the track to kind of back it up. And he is really a, a treat to talk to if you ever have. It, it, he is just a really fun guy. I have, but one person I had never talked to was his daughter, Courtney. And yesterday, uh, I got a chance to do that before um, she was supposed to drive the pace car. This is actually the the debut of a new segment. I don't know if I told you about this um, in our car rides called Three Dumb Questions, where I will ask somebody from another industry or another field that I'm not an expert in um, three dumb questions about their job. So uh, without further ado, let's listen to my three dumb questions interview with Courtney Force. So we're here, and, and I'm going to ask you um, three dumb questions that I think are probably dumb. So I've been to maybe five or six NHRA races. One thing I don't understand is how you breathe, because <laughs> I've been on the starting line where they did the thing where they're like, rookie hazed me. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, come out by the tree. And you're like, and I'm like, oh, I can't breathe. Like, I, oh, this, the nitro, or is, is that what it's called? And, like, I don't even, it's horrible. Like, how, how do you breathe? It's, it's definitely hard on the starting line. If you're spectating from there, obviously, you are going to be covered in tire rub. And, you know, your eyes are usually watering. You're usually just full-blown crying on the starting line because of the nitro fumes but part of the sport you don't really get used to it um for our warm-up i wear a gas mask um and on the run uh you know i, I obviously my visor shut on the run but even before the burnout i kind of leave it cracked but we have oxygen that's uh running through our helmet so that definitely helps to to be able to breathe because once we do the burnout our our entire funny car is filled with uh fumes so it's uh it kind of becomes a little overwhelming, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you back the car up and, you know, open up the roof hatch and it kind of all clears out. Is it something that you ever get used to, the smell where it doesn't bother you? Or is it always, I mean, it's still a chemical, so it's not like you can yeah. totally become like immune to it or something. Yeah, you don't always, you know, you can't fully get used to it, obviously. I mean, it is nitro, so I mean, it, if I'm standing near a car that gets warmed up, I mean, I usually am crying with the rest of them. I mean, you can't really, you kind of learn how to control your breathing. Like don't breathe through your nose or your eyes are immediately going to water. So you try to like just breathe through your mouth or like into a sweater or something. That can't be, that can't be healthy though, right? Or it can't be good for you? Probably not. Yeah. I don't, I, I highly doubt you're supposed to uh, inhale that much nitro in your life, but I mean, dad turned out okay, right? <laughs> 
Okay, dumb question number two is they put the canopy down or and you, you're, you're already limited visibility somewhat through your helmet. Yes. So I, how do you see that well? Like how your peripheral vision, everything like that. I know you're going in a straight line, but still, like how do you tell exactly where you are? So the first time I, you know, before actually getting into a funny card, that was my biggest worry was, oh my gosh, you're in this little seat and it's really, you know, confined. And um, I was worried about visibility out of the car, obviously, when they put the body down. I mean, it looks like this little tiny window. But for some reason, when you're sitting in, you know, the cockpit of the car, it, it actually has, um, especially in the new Chevy Camaro body, um, you know, we have way more visibility than we did before so it was actually almost too overwhelming uh it was a little bit of an adjustment for to go from our last body to the camaro ss body because you know it was almost like a panoramic view out our window you know we're seeing way more on the track than we were used to so like our spots were kind of like different going down the track trying to find center um you know not realizing it we were basing off of you know pieces on the car inside the body so little random things um little fun fact my dad actually has a saint christopher that is um that is on top of his injector so that's kind of his center point because it was such an adjustment getting used to the new chevy body so i i got i you know i got used to it i love it because you can see so much more but yeah again it was just uh something to get used to because you're so used to running a different type of body but um down the track at over 330 miles an hour you're pulling about four or five g's off the line uh visibility is not going to be perfectly clear anyway (laughs) it's pretty much tunnel vision all the way down and you uh kind of use peripheral vision to keep within the you know the center of the lane obviously you're you're finding the groove but you know you're you can see the you know the center line of the racetrack and you can see that that white wall so you're uh, kind of trying to stay within it throughout the entire run so if you drop a hole you got to be able to be there to, to counteract the steering and uh keep it in the center do you have sort of a sense of like how far down the track you are based on time alone i mean obviously you don't know exactly how fast you're going in that moment but do you sort of like okay like one mississippi two mississippi kind of thing like i'm probably close kind of thing (laughs) okay i have a funny story with that um you know during testing when you're trying a bunch of new stuff um my team you know my crew chief who's my brother-in-law dan hood he he told me you know just take it out you know uh half track and shut it off or maybe a little bit past and so i always joke them like so like two or three Mississippi, two Mississippi, you know, and then, and then I always end up driving a little bit further just to, cause I want to push the car and, and I want to see if, you know, what kind of run it'll make. And I came back and, and, uh, and he goes, what, what were you counting to? And I was like, well, they were really, you know, really long Mississippis. So I was just, you know, making a joke with them about it. But no, I mean, you, you find your spot on the track. It's pretty crazy. The first, um, 60 feet, you're going over a hundred miles an hour and in less than a second so it's it's a lot um but you the more and more runs you make down the track you you know your eyes kind of um catch up with the rest of your body (laughs) and you you get used to it a little bit but it's never going to be you know perfectly clear pass dumb question number three is so you go faster than more humans ever go in their life so how do you ever get the sensation of speed for something else like in it, it 
like, okay, here's the thing. So I think of like a baseball player. He has a bat. He warms up with a heavier bat because then when he swings a regular bat, yeah, it's like super light. So wouldn't everything seem to you to be just totally slow or no? Um, yes, it, it does. Um, but at the same time, it depends what you're on, whether it's a roller coaster, you're going up and down. So... You know, it's different uh, being on a track like this, an oval with banking. That speed feels different because you're sideways pretty much. Um, and I would say I've gotten the sensation the most from uh, when I flew with the Blue Angels. That was probably the coolest thing that was different than what I do and more felt more extreme than what I do. Um, we pulled about seven Gs leaving and um it was more the negative g's that got me but you know the like barrel rolling we were doing in the sky it was pretty amazing what those guys do and um you know it I, they got me to black out for about half a second but that was long enough for me and and uh it's it's pretty incredible that they can you know still stay legit and awake and not be blacked out uh while flying one of those things so that's probably the biggest uh thing i guess the closest thing to kind of get your adrenaline up for that makes me feel really good because i actually got to fly with them once and i blacked out and puked and i thought i was really good at the hick maneuver thing where you have to i get made fun of because i have a video on youtube how do you think i feel a lot of people watch it and my husband makes fun of me all the time with the breathing i'm like you know what if you're about to pass out you're about to black out in this guy you will try anything and i was like hey, what did they teach me an hour ago on the ground okay it was this breathing and so i started it i'm like i sound like an idiot but i don't care because i'd like to stay awake <laughs> exactly so my tape has never been seen by anybody it's <laughs> so i'm glad <laughs> i feel bad for you that you're just on youtube but um, listen, thanks for doing this. Can you tell me how dumb my three questions were on a scale of one to ten? Ten being the dumbest. They weren't. No, they weren't. They were actually pretty good questions because uh, I think it's uh, it's different for every every driver. So I'd say it was a, a good a good seven. All right. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, that was a lot of fun to to talk with somebody from. Um, from another industry like that and uh, another form of racing. And hopefully she didn't think the questions were too dumb. Thank you, Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com for, uh, for joining me. I'll give a shout out to my wife, Sarah, who I I'm gone from for a couple weeks. And uh, we will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.